Well, if you've been with us, you know we've been going through the book of Daniel. We have made our way to Daniel chapter 4, and as I have uh, discussed the past couple of Sundays, uh, Daniel uh, chapters 1 through 4, in one sense, can be looked at as the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, again, overall, Daniel's life uh, extends far beyond the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, as we will see in next week's sermon. But, uh, but in chapters 1 through 4, we see the story, if you will, of, of Nebuchadnezzar and his reign. Uh, we see what kind of man he becomes and the kind of lessons that God teaches him. Today, we are going to see the transformation that happens to him. This is Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. And his testimony, in one sense, is completely different from yours or mine. After all, none of us in this room, I'm assuming, ever has been or ever will be a world leader. Certainly nothing like Nebuchadnezzar was. But at the same time, in, in another sense, we all have the same testimony that Nebuchadnezzar has. Because each one of us, in our own way, goes from being a prideful idolater worshiping ourselves to being a humble worshiper of the Lord. Our text today is Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 37. Because this is a lengthier text, I'd encourage all of you to follow along in your Bibles if you have one. If you don't have one but would like to follow along, you can find a Bible in the seats in front of you underneath. And if you use that Bible, you'll find it on page 741 and 742. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in which food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven." And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump 
of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are associated or are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. As you read through chapter 4, you get the strong impression that Nebuchadnezzar has a lesson to learn. This is a man who is, by all accounts, one of the greatest leaders who ever lived in the history of the world, but, but this man who was a great architect and a great mind and a, and a great military leader had a lesson that he had to learn. We see it stated four times in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel 4, 17. It says, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Daniel 4, 25, it says, Then that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Daniel 4, 26, as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. 
Daniel 4.32, and you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Over and over and over again, Nebuchadnezzar is told that the lesson that he must learn is that God rules the kingdom of men. To put it perhaps more simply or in a way that we might understand better, his lesson simply that he needs to learn is that God is God and that he is not. If you think about it, again, from a human perspective, Nebuchadnezzar had more sovereignty and power than most humans that have ever lived. If anyone could have thought perhaps that he was God, on earth, it would have been him. And you compare his sovereignty, for instance, to the rule of King Charles of England, it's, it's really no comparison. Nebuchadnezzar had the kind of sovereignty that, that we see throughout history, but, but really is, is rare and, and really only pertained to a few people. He, he had the sovereign power and authority to, to command something to be built and it would be built. He had the sovereign power and authority to command someone to be killed, and they would be killed instantly. No questions asked. If anyone looking out over the landscape of his life could have looked at his life and concluded, I am God, it would have been him. And yet, very early on in his rule, Chapter 4, now this is about you know, 30 years later, early on in Israel when he first became king and, and first uh, went in and attacked Jerusalem and, and exiled Daniel and his friends, he was told early on in the, in the first couple years of his reign, Daniel, God gave Nebuchadnezzar this, this gift of Daniel, this, this gift from the Word of God, and, and he was told clearly, everything that you have, Nebuchadnezzar, is a gift from God. Daniel said to him, you, O king, you are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, in whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven. God, he has made you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was told by Daniel that everything that you have is a gift from God. You are not God. You've been given these gifts from the God who ultimately rules everything. And this is true not only for Nebuchadnezzar, it's true for every one of us sitting in this room. You did not make it here under your own power as much as you think you did, as much as it seemed in your own life that you did, as much as you got up and by your own willpower decided to uh, roll out of bed and put on your clothes and get in your car and drive here, everything that you did is ultimately a gift from God. You did only because God providentially has given you the ability to do that. Scripture says none of us has a, pro a promise of tomorrow. You could have been taken, your life taken from you last night. Your health could have been taken from you. It happens to people overnight. There is not a single human being other than one who has ever lived who has within him 
necessary being. To have necessary being means that it is your very nature to exist. It means that if you have necessary being, you must necessarily exist. And God is the only one who has necessary being. Every human being is, by definition, expendable. If we were to die, the universe would go on as it always has. If God were to die, so would everything else, which means that God cannot die. He cannot die because he has necessary being. We are all dependent upon his living. We find this out in Acts chapter 17. The argument that was made to the Athenians is this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Your life and your breath and everything that you have is ultimately a gift from God. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Nebuchadnezzar was sovereignly ordained to be who he was, where he was, and have what he had by God before the foundation of the world. Adam, the first human being, knew better than anyone that he did not have necessary being. Adam knew that he was created from the dust of the earth. He knew that everything he had, the Garden of Eden, his life, uh, all the animals, his wife Eve, everything was a gift from God. <clears throat> and yet, Adam decided that he wanted to trade his identity as creature completely dependent on God so that he could be like God. And Scripture says that that continues to this day. Nebuchadnezzar, just as we all do, reveals his wanting to be like God by his sin. Sin is not conforming to the law of God. So when we sin, we essentially look at God's law and say, I don't want to do what you tell me to do. Because we want to be like God. We want to do our own thing. That's what the essence of sin is. Now, in courage, I mean, if we thought Daniel had courage already just to, to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream meant, and I'm sure for Daniel that was an act of courage, uh, who wants to tell a king that can snuff your life out in, in an instant that you're going to be driven out into the fields like a madman and live like an animal? And yet Daniel follows that up unbelievably with, I think, an even greater act of courage by, by telling him in verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Break off your iniquities by, by showing mercy to the oppressed, that, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You know, at the end of the day, uh, Scripture tells us, and, and Daniel understood this, that the person who occupies any position in government, any government at any time in the history of the world has been placed there sovereignly by God. Again, Nebuchadnezzar was placed by God to be who he was, when he was, and given everything that he had. 
Romans 13 tells us this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It's interesting, Paul wrote that at a time when Nero was Caesar in Rome. Can't get much worse than him. And yet Paul was saying that Nero was put there by God. But you know, just because a a, a leader is placed in his position by God doesn't mean that he's a godly leader. In fact, it seems as though most leaders throughout history have at some level been very ungodly. Jesus, the Son of God on earth, he looked at Pontius Pilate, who himself was basically a a moral degenerate, and he acknowledged to Pilate, you have authority over me, humanly speaking. He looked at Pilate, he said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above, but he was recognizing you do have the authority over me because God has given it to you. Daniel recognized the rightful rule of Nebuchadnezzar, but he also recognized that God had put him in a unique position to speak prophetically and to challenge this man's behavior. I don't know how many times Daniel did this. Maybe never. I mean, you you have to be pretty careful when you're speaking to a sovereign king like this. But God placed him uniquely there, and and he worked for Nebuchadnezzar humbly and and forthrightly and and faithfully and did the best job he could for for 30-some years until when the time was right, he decided it was a good time to share with Nebuchadnezzar humbly, Nebuchadnezzar, I think you need to stop your sinning. He may have had his head removed at that moment. He didn't know. Well, one of the things that that this got me to think is that God has placed each one of us uniquely somewhere. Probably none of us in this room are placed in the halls of power in D.C. I would wager none of us in this room have been given the opportunity to be a Supreme Court justice or or anything like that. And, and, And yet... He has placed each of us uniquely somewhere. He's put all of you in in some school or some job, some position. And if you are there and you're serving faithfully, then the Bible tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us for a reason, for the hope that they see in us. I remember uh, when I worked for a little bit of time, it was... It was in between uh, getting married and, and heading off to seminary, <coughs> which I knew I was, I was uh, pl- planning to do by God's grace uh, in His providence. I would, I would end up in seminary, but, but there was a, a little bit of time where I, I had to pay the bills uh, as a, 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 a husband and a provider for the home, and so I, I ended up looking around and, and getting a job working for a newspaper. And it was while I was working for that newspaper that 9-11 happened. <clears throat> and so, of course, we, uh, as, as everyone did, our, our lives kind of, in a sense, came to a halt. But as, as a newspaper, we had, to, we had to print what had happened. And so, we still had to continue to work 
and alert everyone and, and, and have a front page, and I, I actually still have that paper uh, with the, the front page of, of that paper, and in big, bold letters, it just says, attack on it, and a picture of the Twin Towers on fire. Now, I had gone to that job uh, every day uh, just trying to do my best for that job. Uh, I didn't show up with a sandwich board uh, on, on me uh, telling everyone to repent uh, and, and come to faith. That, that wasn't what I was there to do. I had been hired to work for this newspaper. And so I showed up every day faithfully, but God, and, and you know, as faithfully as I could, and, and I tried just to work hard and, and do what my boss asked me to do. But that attack led to a lot of conversations in the office, conversations about God, which ultimately led to them asking me my opinion of what was going on, which ultimately led to the entire office surrounding my desk and yelling at me because of the answers that I gave that weren't acceptable to them, which ultimately led to my boss, who sat right across from me, a few weeks later, out of nowhere, saying, Max, I looked up from the paperwork I was doing, and he said, are you telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell? And I said, yes. And his eyes got huge, and he said, I can't believe you just said that. And I said, well, first of all, you asked me. Uh, but second of all, I don't say it. Jesus said it. And he said, where? And I said, Jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And which led to, a couple of weeks later, him bringing a Bible into work. And him calling me over quietly and secretly and saying, where should I start reading? And he had his Bible in his drawer. Which led to him, about a month before I left to go to seminary, coming up to me and asking me if I would take a walk with him outside so that he could share with me his marital problems, and that I could counsel him as to how to solve his problems. And I said, why are you asking me? I wasn't even good friends with this guy. He had other guys that he always went out and hung out with all the time, and he said, because you have truth that they don't have. Notice in verses 24 to 25, that everything that Nebuchadnezzar took pride in was going to be taken from him. His, his majesty, his dignity as a king, he, he's going to look and act like an animal. His royal food that, that we found out about in the first chapter that, uh, that Daniel and his friends declined, his royal food that was sumptuous and that uh, I'm sure only he and a select few got to enjoy, he would have that taken from him. He's going to end up eating grass like an animal. His palaces that he had built, his, his, his luxurious bedrooms are going to be taken from him. He'll be living outside in the open like an animal and the dew will fall on him. I can imagine all of this must have seemed surreal to Daniel, even as he was saying it. Even as Daniel knew that this was going to happen, he must have been thinking, how is this going to happen? I can't imagine this king going from what I see before me to the thing that God is telling me is going to happen. Now, notice God gave Nebuchadnezzar a full year to repent. Daniel's last words were, stop your sinning and maybe God will extend your prosperity. There's a chance. God gave Daniel an entire year. Scripture says God is patient 
The Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God gave him a full year. Imagine what Daniel's thinking as he sees Nebuchadnezzar continue on with everything he's been doing for a year. I don't know, did he share again with him? Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I just want to remind you, maybe, I don't know, Scripture doesn't say it. Maybe he's kept silent and let his one word be his only word. But after a year, where do we find Nebuchadnezzar? What well, seems in, in verses 29 and 30 that he's completely unfazed by Daniel's words. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? It's interesting when you, <coughs> when you look at the language here. Now, <clears throat> I think the, the ESV, uh, it, it, it seems a little bit of an awkward translation here, but it, it's actually accurate to what the original language says. A lot of other, if you're looking at another translation, it, it may just say, at the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof, and he said something like that, or, you know, he reasoned, is this not? But if you, if you look at the original, it, it, he actually, it does say that he answered and said. It's what the ESV has here. He, he answered and said, and I can understand why you wouldn't translate that, because he's not having a conversation with anyone. I mean, you get the picture that he's all alone, that he's walking on the rooftop, there's nobody there, he's not talking to Daniel anymore, so who in the world is he answering? Well, it's, it's almost as though 12 months go by and Nebuchadnezzar that whole time is thinking through the warnings that Daniel gave him. And, and that after 12 months, after after. You know, pondering what Daniel said and, and seeing his days go on like they always had and seeing nothing change and seeing no judgment befall him and, and seeing his kingdom go on like it always had and, and seeing himself wake up every day and, and be master of his own uh, kingdom as he always had. You, you almost see that he you know, answers Daniel. Daniel had given him a warning, humble yourself or you will face destruction and after a year of uh, pondering this, Nebuchadnezzar gives his answer, I am God. Everything that he had was a gift from God, but what did he conclude? Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my majesty and power as a royal res residence and for the glory of my majesty? I can still remember vividly, and Michelle and I will laugh about this sometimes, uh, you know, that's the, that first moment when uh, all of our kids went through this, but that the moment when they were old enough to kind of have a stare down with us, uh, you know, and, and, and you could see the wheels turning in their heads. That, that up till that point, they had been known us only as their all-sufficient provider, they had known us only as the one who clothed them every day, fed them every day, carried them everywhere, uh, cared for them in every way, 
And yet, at that moment when they wanted to do what they wanted to do, and we said, no, no, don't touch, and you could see them stop, and you could see the thought process go through their heads as they pondered, do I really think that they rule over me? And then, inevitably, they went for the thing that we said no, no about. It happened every time. We never had a child that always, I never had to teach any of my children to disobey me. Let's put it that way. They would contemplate and have a stare down and contemplate. Do they rule or do we rule? And eventually they would say, I'm the boss. And they would learn pretty quickly that judgment follows disobedience as their little hand would get slapped. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar woke up day after day, year after year, didn't see any judgment, and decided no judgment is going to befall me. That's what 2 Peter says. Scoffers are going to come in the last days. They're going to be scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, that the earth was formed out of water, and that by means, uh, by, by, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished, and but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Friends, God is long-suffering, but he is not eternally suffering. It was the Lord who blessed Nebuchadnezzar with everything that he had, and it was the Lord who in an instant stripped everything from him. The instant that Nebuchadnezzar thought he was God, perhaps more than he had ever thought he was God, it was that instant that he realized he wasn't. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. You see, sometimes... It takes God stripping everything away from us to bring us to a place of repentance. We don't really know how long Nebuchadnezzar was in this state. It could have been seven years. We don't know. It doesn't specify years. It just says period of time. But we can picture uh, how he looked. I mean, how he acted. And we might, might say, well, look, that's, that's terrible. But, but friends, that was really a mercy that God gave him only that judgment. Because if we look at, at history, uh, another example is, uh, is Herod Agrippa. On an appointed day, Herod Agrippa put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration. 
And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. God has every right to strike every one of us down in an instant and kill us. The fact that he didn't do that to Nebuchadnezzar was, in fact, a grace and a mercy because it brought him to repentance. We find this example of essentially bringing a a king down when we look at Manasseh. In the Old Testament, Manasseh uh, ruled Judah. He was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Can you imagine being under this king? Listen to what he did. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to Baal. He made Ashtaroth and worshipped all the host of heaven and earth. He built altars of these false gods in the house of the Lord. He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of Hinnom. He used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery. He dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He carved an image of the idol that he had made that he set in the house of God. And Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people. They paid no attention to God. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a year to repent before judgment fell on him, and it was a judgment by God's grace that brought him to repentance and faith. Notice in verses 34 to 35 three things. First, we notice that the third person again returns to first person. I said that this chapter here, chapter 4, is a personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, and it begins that way. Daniel chapters 1 through 3 is, they're written in third person. Chapter 4 comes on the scene, and suddenly it's being spoken by Nebuchadnezzar as a first person testimony. But you can see that all of it is in first person except for verses 29 through 33, And that's because those were the verses that Nebuchadnezzar had to be told about, because that was the time that he lost his mind. But at the end of days of judgment, after God had humbled him and brought him low, you can see the testimony returns to first person again. And it happens, this reason returns to him, his life returns to him when he gets his eyes off the ground beneath him and lifts his eyes to heaven. That's the second thing we see here. Before he is humbled by God, he has his eyes beneath him. The prideful person looks at everything else around him and says, I'm better than they are. And Nebuchadnezzar could say that about everybody. Before he is humbled, he's strolling on the roof of his palace, looking down on his kingdom. And as long as we keep our eyes on ourselves, on our own accomplishments, and look down on everyone else, and never look at God, we will never see ourselves correctly. John Calvin says this. It is certain that 
Man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he first looks upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. For we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. But you see, what is masquerading as righteousness will soon grow filthy when we look upon God. And you see here in these verses that Nebuchadnezzar finally learns the lesson that he needed to learn. God brought him to repentance. And and you realize that now he knows. He knows after being humbled by God that God is God and that he is not. You see what he says here. He says, after all these years, that, that the God of heaven does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. See, Nebuchadnezzar was totally fine for a while. He was fine with the God of heaven ruling heaven, ruling out there somewhere. I mean, he acknowledged that this God lived, that this God existed, that he was a great God, that he was even a saving God. But Nebuchadnezzar wanted to imagine this God as being out there somewhere, ruling out there somewhere, but not actually ruling him not being the ruler of his life. And now we see that God showed him by humbling him that God rules earth as well. You see, God rules. God rules you and he rules me. And we all begin life at some level by pridely rejecting that truth. And we all slip into some level of believing that we are the king. Christian, how does pride reveal itself in your own life? When do you see yourself acting as though you are the king? I can tell you that, that I see it every day with my own children. When they, it's amazing, James and Eva uh, I hope they're not embarrassed by this, but they, they like to play games every morning before school. And I tell them every time, why do you guys play, play games together? Because every game ends up in a fight. Every game. And they don't have fun. I mean, they might have fun for like maybe two minutes, and then for the next 15, it's a fight. And it's interesting, I've never, when I ask them what happened when the fight's going on, I've, I've never once heard at them or any of my children when they're fighting say something like, God was just dishonored by my sibling. That's why I'm upset. (laughs) Every time it's, they did something to me. I wanted to do this and they did that and I deserve this and they don't deserve it. It's always a battle over who deserves what. And when I find myself getting angry at their fight, it's never because they're disobeying God it's because they're inconveniencing me. (laughs) It's because I wanted life to go a certain way, and it's not going the way that I wanted it. And so I'm mad at them for upsetting my little kingdom. We are all guilty of pride. And Scripture says that pride goes before destruction. Friend, our pride is going to land us one of two places. It's either going to land us before God's judgment throne, where you and I will have to give an account to all the times that we have essentially said, I am God, and you are not. 
or our pride eventually will land us by God's humbling grace to the foot of the cross. Where we acknowledge our pride and where we fall on our face before the one who alone humbled himself fully all the way to the cross where he destroyed our sin. Thank God, Christian, that if you have found yourself at the foot of the cross, that like Nebuchadnezzar, God didn't leave you in your pride, that he humbled you so that you would find yourself bowing at the foot of Christ. In his grace and mercy, we see that God restored to Nebuchadnezzar all that he had before and more. Verses 36 and 37, he acknowledges that. But notice that all of the things that he now says he has, he acknowledges are a gift from God. Now, rather than praising himself, he praises and extols and honors the King of Heaven, who he says all of his ways are right. They're just And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Brothers and sisters, just as I reminded you last week, there is no one too far gone. I don't care who in your life you think might be too far gone for God to humble and bring to faith in Christ. If God can bring a man like Nebuchadnezzar to fall down in humble obedience to the Lord, he can do that with anybody. I believe that when we are called to heaven, we are going to see Daniel there and Hananiah there and Azariah and Mishael, and I believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar there by God's grace. You know who else we're going to see there? We're going to see Manasseh. Chronicles goes on. This evil, wicked king that burned his sons alive as an offering to a false god. When he was hauled off, hooks put in his nose and dragged off by the king of Assyria. Scripture tells us this. When when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty, heard his plea, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What an amazing story of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be there, and we're going to see all of them there, not because of our own inherent godliness, but because of Christ's. Jesus alone humbled himself perfectly. Did you notice that after Nebuchadnezzar's entire life of pride, a voice fell from heaven and proclaimed words of judgment? The exact opposite was true of Christ. When he came up from the water after living an entire 30 years, a voice fell from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We will be with him one day because of his humility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning. So grateful to be reminded of what our Lord did for us. Father, we pray that you would strip away all of our pride, Lord. That you would help us evermore to fall at the feet of our Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name.